You're listening to Vince Tracy and Neil Cobo. It's Europe Calling. What's in the news this week, especially from the UK and from Spain? Europe Calling. Very good day. Welcome, everybody, to a brilliantly sunny day here on the Costa Blanca, our podcast for the 10th of January 2023. So, having described such a wonderful day, let's get across the mountain and ahead. In a westerly direction, I should find Neil. Good morning to you, Neil. And what is your weather like that side of the mountain? Morning, Vince. It's uh, cracking the flags. It's beautiful. And it's nice and warm. Lovely. I've got to say, uh, when I looked out of the window, I thought this is going to be yet another fine day because we've had a very good week this week, haven't we? Yeah, been belting. It's not even been that really cold at night. You know where normally sun goes down and it gets a bit cooler. Yeah. It's just been not too bad. You know, it's been lovely. Absolutely fantastic. Okay, first story coming up. So let's see where we go. Um, yes, here we go. So there's this guy in the paper today, which I thought, um, yeah, I think Neil might see something in this. It's a guy called Adam, made a foul-mouthed farewell on the public address system at the hardware giant's Western Supermore, Supermore branch in November. Uh, this is basically um, one of these B&Q depots. And... Uh, This happened in November. He shared a TikTok of the incident, which quickly went viral, showing the 18-year-old saying, this is a customer announcement. I just got sacked and the B&Q are blank, blank, blank. Uh, Everyone have a nice day. Adam then walked away from the desk and out of the store for the last time without speaking to stunned staff and customers. The The student claimed he was sacked for vaping outside the designated smoking area and says he acted irrationally as other staff had done the same and hadn't been fired. His video posted last Thursday has been viewed two and a half million times on TikTok where some said his bizarre act had uh, justified his sacking while others joked they wished they could do the same. Right, Neil, um, do you think he was wise to do that? Well, if you've got a smoking area, you know, for vaping or smoking or whatever, then just go in them. You know, there's no big deal about it, is there? You know, you you can't smoke in pubs, but you can go out and smoke in beer gardens or wherever. You know, uh, yeah, it's a bit silly, but, I mean, instant dismissal of them. I mean, I would have probably given him a a warning sort of thing, really, and said, listen, if you want to go and vape, that's the area. Just go in there and and enjoy your vaping but i, I think it's a bit harsh isn't it really well no i think I, I tell- the i think the whole thing really is about him wanting to get himself on tiktok because you know uh, yeah. by having him doing that 
means he'd planned it and uh, therefore really um yeah the thing is maybe being Q's staff and uh, a way of doing things might be questionable because I don't know I've never worked there but all as I do know is that there are far too many students who basically think they can do what the hell they like these days in Britain I'm with you with that one yeah and if that's the way it is you see we don't know what he's like doing his job anyway and if he thinks he's better than the, the company that's that's employing him then what a stupid thing to do when you've already got an area that's designated for smoking and vaping, you know. It, but, I mean, half of these young'uns, they think they know everything before they even get to 25, don't they? You know, about work and all that lot. That's, a, that's exactly really the way I'm thinking, because if um, other people had done it um, and vaped outside the designated area... Um, and maybe they'd only sacked him, then it would suggest to me that the he's done a few other things because otherwise, you know, the, the yeah, value yeah. of his work would shine through, wouldn't it? And, and when, when I mean, when he goes for his next job, well, what happened at B&Q? Well, I was vaping outside the thing, outside the, the de uh, designated area. You know, they start thinking, hang on a minute, he's, he, I don't think this man's going to be for us. If, if, if these rules set down and you're going to start breaking them, then you're not going to get a job anywhere, are you? You know. Well, that's how I feel. I feel that really he's not done himself any favours, but the fact no. that he'd already got a TikTok um, sort of um, uh, video of, of himself doing it and wanted to put it out and let everybody know what's gone on just sort of says to me that he's an exhibitionist and also he's got no respect for who he was working for. It could exactly. well yeah, it could well be that maybe the supervisors and some of the rules were a bit uh, maybe wrong. But then again, I, I might be totally wrong with this, but surely if you're talking about smoking and uh, you've got to then include vaping as part of smoking, then really uh, in a place like B&Q, you could have stuff that could burn quickly. Wouldn't, would not Would that be right, do you think? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they give you a, a designated area, whether it be a bus, you know, like a bus stop sort of thing or an open, open plan room. You go in there, you have, you have your cigarette or you have your vaping bit and then just go back to, you know, back to your job. You know, it's. I mean, it's not like it's. It's a. You know, it's like a detention centre, is it? You know. Well, you know, we can't. It, no, you've already got a place. Go and have a smoke in it, and then come back. No problem. Yeah, I, I think the problem in in, uh, in a general sense, because obviously this is the, the teaching bit in me coming out now, is that um, too many people now are being run by these social platforms and they think that, you know, the, 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 the rules don't apply to them. They can do what the hell they like. And um, this guy, by all means, you know, if he'd had enough of his job and that was the way that he wanted to go out, Okay, grandstand, make a video, make the point. Uh, but I think he'll pick up the tab later in life uh, if he's going for other jobs personally. Exactly, because they're all going to ask the question, you know, why did you get sacked at B&Q? You know, not obeying the rules. Well, we've got similar rules here, you know. So I don't think you're quite the one that we're looking for. <laughs> OK, well, let's uh, move on. We're staying with youth at the moment. Uh, yes, here we go. Yeah, in the evening, when all my days work is through, I call my baby. 
Okay, so this is about Britain's youngest Euro Millions winner. And uh, this girl has opened up about how her win didn't bring her happiness, saying she wouldn't wish it on anyone, appearing as she did on an episode of the US TV show Dr. Phil. Now, this is somebody who's 27 now. Her name's Jane. And she discussed the downsides of her £1 million pounds euro millions windfall in 2013 when she was 17 in the episode titled the curse of the lottery uh, jane is from edinburgh and she was joined on the cbs show which aired last monday by experts discussing the odds of lotteries and the reasons behind why people enter the game she admitted she was too young to cope with stalkers death threats negative media attention and said the minimum age for playing the lottery should be raised after previously saying the windfall had ruined her life. Uh, now, there was a comment which um, looked pretty right. Um, uh, it said that the lottery, the national lottery, provides advisors to help winners invest their money wisely and to live a life according to their means. For most people, a lifetime's capital of a million is that much given the price of a home and pension fund. It's a hell of a start in life for a 17-year-old, though, and should set anyone up for a decent life. If they listen to the advice, clearly she reacted and rejected that advice and went off on her own way. So, um... Right. This is a little bit like our previous one, I think. Um, what do you think about the minimum age for a lottery winner? Would you agree with her now? 18? Whatever. I don't know what it is now. Is it 16 or 18? No, it must be 18. It looks like it was 16 and it's gone back no. up to 18. Right. So, all, you, all you've got to do, you, you, know, you know for a fact... That if you're going to win a, a big amount of money and, and you're on telly, you know, with your great big check in your hand and this, that and the other, all you've got to do is say, I don't want any publicity. Simple as that. And then nobody knows who's won it, do they? You know, and you just get on with your, with your life merrily. I mean, I won't I mind half a chance at it. Trust me. If, she's not, if she wants to get rid of some of it, give her my address, will you, Vince? <laughs> well, I was looking at the pictures of uh, somebody who looked as if she... I've got to be careful how you use the, the, the words these days, but, I mean, there was a word that looks a bit tarty, if you know what I, uh, I mean. You know, someone who's got a bit of class looks like they've got money and they're not yeah. trying and then to you make get the others with all the bling on and all the yeah and all the makeup and hair and all that lot you know you know, she could be, i mean she could be a very very nice person exactly. I, I i have no idea whether good bad or indifferent but all i do know is that first impressions were always something i used to try and introduce the students to when i was talking to the younger ones um because you know if you've given an impression to somebody we all do it anyway i mean sometimes we probably ourselves are doing it um and making a mistakes over certain things but then again you can't really get into another person's head and see how they're going to perceive you until you've met them really is that, that, exactly. that my granddad gave me some advice donkeys years ago and he said you only get one chance to make a first impression and i've stuck by that all the time yeah no i think you're absolutely right and uh i mean the the, the problem is it, it, even if you really go by um, that and trying to keep to it totally, 
there'll always be an odd day when you're not up to scratch. We've all done that. We've all been there. Um, and people will remember that rather than the probably the nicer side of you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like I was golfing yesterday. We go out in the golf game. Today, I went for my walk as usual in my shorts. And, uh, well, it was that warm. I went in a, a T-shirt. Uh, and I come back and it's a lazy day for me because I've been golfing all day and I'm in my tracky bottoms and a, and a, and a T-shirt, you know. But I wouldn't be going out to the pub dressed like, you know, like I am here. This is just me lolling about thing on to settee watching telly or football or whatever sport's on, you know. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And I think you've all, everybody's got to have a bit of downtime. I mean, you know, sometimes you've got a crazy a uh, bit of old gear that you would never be seen dead in, but, you know, it'll be the day that you've got it on that somebody knocks on your front door and wants to have a chat with you. Yeah, that, that always happens normally. I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't go out gardening, would you, in a tuxedo? You know, you put on your worst clothes because you're mowing about with soil and, and bits of grass and God knows what and chopping half a tree down or whatever it is. Well, it's funny... And, uh, it's you won't you won't be out there in a tuxedo expecting somebody might knock on door, would you? Well, it's you know? funny. You've prompted a really funny memory because when I first came to the Costa Blanca, um, I popped into a school to sort of give me CV because obviously I didn't know people, and that's the only way you can really get yourself known. And uh, there was a guy doing the gardens. And he looked as scruffy as hell. And I was thinking at the time, good God, you know, um, uh, 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 am I doing the right thing coming to give me cards in here, you know? And um, the next thing is uh, we're talking in the office and he's the owner of the place. <laughs> he's out doing the gardening. So that was exactly what you were saying, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and as you said just before, you know, I'm here lolling about now. If the doorbell goes, I go to the door and open it as I am. I don't like dash around, forget him, you know. Uh, a, a decent pair of jeans on or out like that. I'm just in my jogging bottoms and uh, and, and my t-shirt. Yeah. And you open the door and it'd be somebody. Oh, hey, hey I've, how you doing? Oh, that's all I need. You know what I mean? <laughs> be seen like this, just lolling about in house. Okay, here's the next one. You're listening to Vince Tracy and Neil Coble. It's Europe calling. What's in the news this week, especially from the UK and from Spain? Europe calling. Now, remembering that there are times when we're looking at something that's um, a couple of days old now, you know, um, there are fears the union barons could be plotting the first general strike since 1926 when they meet at a war cabinet or so they would have met at the war cabinet um, later in the week. Some of the country's top union bosses, including Mick Lynch, will meet at the Trade Union Congress, uh, the TUC as probably most people will know it, to plan their next move after weeks of crippling walkouts. It will come just a day after they conduct talks with the ministers amidst ongoing pay disputes that have seen large parts of the country grind to a halt over the last year. Representatives from the Rail, Maritime and Transport RMT Union, ASLEF and the GMB will gather to compare notes on their discussions with the government. Um, so that was what they were saying in the papers. Obviously, the strikes are ongoing, but... I get the impression that people are not 
quite as keen on what's going on now. I don't know whether or not uh, you've picked up anything, whether you feel the same. Yeah, well, people are getting fed up of it, aren't they? They, they can see that all these unions are getting together to say, listen, for us to all get, you know, get this ridiculous pay rises that they want, is if we all do it, you know, all do it together in stages. And I think that's what's happened. They've all got together, all these leaders of all unions, and said, right, well, you start you start the ball rolling, we'll join in, and then we'll join in. And the, and I think the, the, the public at large are just getting a bit fed up of it. And, and we remember what happened straight after when they got rid of the motor industry. Everybody just fell out with unions completely, you know. They were, they were sick and tired of them keep going on strike and going on strike. There are people that want a, a decent pay rise, like the nurses and doctors. I get all that. But you can't be coming at a 19 thing when all of a sudden countries, you know, you, you know, on, on, on bottom rail at the moment and, and inflation's going up. You know, you, you can't just go keep handing out money and this and the other like Labour did. If you remember the last time, the, uh, the Secretary of State left him a note saying that... Uh, or Treasury, said, uh, sorry, there's no more money left. We've blown it all. You know mm. what I mean? That, that's the type of things that unions do. They want to bankrupt the country. Well, I think you're absolutely right. And uh, the, the one thing that uh, becomes obvious is if you've got... I mean, you don't have, I don't think you have to be that clever to see this now. Um, that if you've got everybody asking for money... And you know uh, the country is already in some sort some form of inflation and recession. Then obviously the only people that are going to suffer are the, the people who are asking for the the rises, probably because they are the people who basically um, will see the impri- the increase in prices at the shops and the petrol stations and everywhere else if they're given the money they're demanding. Um, I mean, I was looking at the um, the health service because basically I've always really had a great deal of sympathy with the with the nurses because they do do a really really good job. Um, but I was looking at the the um, on about thirty thousand, which is not a bad wage, is it? When all said and done, is it really a question of the wage being that bad, or is it a question of just trying to um, get a bigger piece of the cake that maybe they see other people get in uh, I'm not too sure in my own mind which way it's going at the moment well exactly we, we, it, it, we we're all over Facebook about the, the, the train drivers you know the, mini, the, the minimum for 40 hours that's without you know if you want to do overtime and, and this that and the other 50,000 I mean you, you can live on 50,000 surely to, you know surely to God well, you've got Hello. you've got average people over here, and I would think the average is not far off a thousand a month, so twelve thousand a year, which is only in euros as well. And yeah. you know, that, yeah. I mean, by all you means, think, I, I think the nurses, with the nurses, I think it's this shortage thing, because because we went, we pulled out of Brexit. Now you've got you know we used to get them from Philippines nurses, didn't we, and, and, and doctors, and you know from India and places like that, you know, all over the world. Because there's 130 odd thousand now, I think it's it's the the extra work that the nurses have got to do. I I get that they want to rise, you know, but they'll ne- they'll never get 19 percent. But and and don't forget, my daughter's a matron in in uh, hospital. Yeah, you know, I've said to her, you'll not get 19 percent. They said we're we're not asking for 19 percent. It's the unions that are asking for 19 percent. 
you know. But it, it's the shortage, and so it puts more, you know, more more workload on the nurses that are there. And I've got every sympathy with them that they do deserve a rise, but it's about time that you found a way to get the, these doctors and and and, uh, and nurses from abroad that have they've been coming in for donkey's years and and get it all staffed up. You know, get it staffed up to, to what it was before. I think you know. there, there was a time when, you know, the, the unions were very, very necessary because um, I think when you go back to about the 70s, I think they started to bring in all these reforms that made people uh, have a maybe a better chance of getting the right money for the right job and as long as you do what you're asked to do. Um, but the, the problem for me has always come from the the bosses always getting paid too much. I mean, it doesn't really matter um, whether or not you're going to give the boss a lot more or maybe uh, just a bit more. I mean, really, a sensible amount should incentivize people to become a boss. But I think the extravagant differences and differentials between the workforce and the bosses is now well and truly wrong. And I think that they've got to start doing something at that end of the scale. But of course, if the unions really want to uh, beef on about things like that, then they only have to have a look at their own structures. Because quite frankly, the union bosses are on huge money. And, um, you know, they're just leading everybody up the garden path, making them um, disgruntled and obviously wanted to go on strike. So much so that my feeling is, as we've discussed in the past, I think there's some sort of international communism plot uh, where they really are just trying to break the British economy. That's what I think they're trying to do. Uh, I'm with you on that. But uh, uh, when you were saying about bosses' wages, yeah, that, you know... Uh, well, if, if you're looking at bosses where they're taking people on that, that are running factories, yeah, well, the, the boss is the boss, you know. And sometimes they, they, they used to have a, a a profit scheme, didn't they, where you get a bonus at the end of the year if, if, if the profits were, you know, yeah. were, were a certain thing. But going back to the original unions, that's what they were about. It's trying to get you a decent pay for a decent day's work. That's that's when they were very good, but then they start getting this this power. They think you know, well, we need th this man in charge of our union. But now they've got that many layers coming down, all on serious, serious big money, right? Then they're not really bothered about the working man as long as they keep getting their money at the top. And all these that are going out on strike, the top men will still be getting their full money, their contract for all the year. And that's what gets on my nerves. But I do think that there should have been a, a, a better, a bigger tax on on the seriously wealthy. Yes. You know, that then feeds down into, into you know, to the that's when you can afford to give other people, you know, that don't further down scale a decent. Oh, you all you're after is a decent living wage. Yeah. That you can be, that you can be happy on. But oh no, the, these union men that are on way way above. You know, a decent living wage. They're on well above that. They're just they're just happy for the power that they think they've got over the government. Yeah, I, I think this year, especially this year, but I think in previous years as well. I think uh, these 
um, international communists, I, I think they're targeting the health centre in the UK. And the reason why I say that is that basically I think that they've been trying to undermine Britain for a long, long time. Obviously, Britain saw through a lot of what was happening with the uh, Treaty of Lisbon looming up on the horizon, and uh, they decided that, you know, we'll get away from the European Union. Um, but then you can see now that they're being picked off in another way. Um, let's be honest about it. You can't have your cake and eat it. You can't exactly. come on TV one day telling everybody how marvellous the NHS is and then all outside clapping and uh, beating your pots and pans and everything. And then when it comes to actually giving the people that work the way stoically through the, re, the, through, through the um, COVID stuff, if you um, really relied on those people so much, you've got to reimburse them. It's exactly the same as the nonsense that's going on with um, these illegal immigrants and um, the people that have been out serving the country not getting looked after. You know, either there's something very, very devious is happening or the government is very, very naive. And certainly... When you look at somebody like uh, Boris Johnson, uh, when you look at Liz Truss, when you look at Rishi Sunak, uh, none of these people seem to be in touch with the reality of what life is about. If you're an NHS person or, or, or somebody working for the forces. You're right there. There were so many millions this year on um, expenses, millions, right, to the top 20 MPs. Yes. How does that work? Yeah. How on earth can that possibly work? It, it, you've got people, as we, as we say, right down on, on bottom lens, not probably getting a full, you know, a, a decent wage that they should be getting. And yet these lot, not only are they getting 78,000 a year, but, but they're claiming like two and 300,000 pound a year on expenses. Yeah. Well, do they think we don't have any expenses? And I mean, the, these profiteering gas and electric firms, they, they should be taxed more. But what they're saying is that they'll, they'll just move their, their, their tax thing into a, a tax-free zone, you know, like Jersey or wherever it is abroad, you know, putting it in these offshore accounts. Well, I'm, still tax them because you tax them on what they've, they've, they've got in the UK. I, th I think the you... get it out of it. The, the union guys never ever change the tune the answer to everything is for them a strike if they were to actually spend what they're being paid in a much better way and try and come up with plans to really reorganize the economy so that when they take it to the likes of Rishi Sunak or the Chancellor of the Exchequer, um, they, they can actually provide an alternative but they never do I mean it's no, always it's, the, it's the strike isn't it? strike out let's go we go out it's like the, the bully boy tactics and and that's what i'm saying why it, it's okay at first but the the nurses thing the, they agreed and they had union members on the board independent board for the wage rises and they, they give them that that's already gone into their pay and unions saying no well we're not having that because inflation's gone up come on in other words let, let, we're still going to go out on strike they won't lose any money. It's the poor nurses and them at the bottom of scale and, and porters and this, that and the other. There's only them that, you know, 
uh, that loses out. Just go round a table, and if you have to, get ACAS in and come to some form of an agreement. But you can't keep asking for money if there's none in pot. No. No, I, I don't know. You really lose patience with what's going on. I'd better move yeah. on. Um, okay, so here comes the next one. Okay, now you're a smoker, I'm not, so this could be interesting to um, both of us, really. A Labour government, so a Labour government, could introduce a New Zealand-style ban on the sale of cigarettes. Shadow Health Secretary Wes Streeting has told the the party uh, would consult on phasing out the sale of cigarettes as part of fresh radical thinking and to ease pressure on the NHS. New Zealand is set to implement new laws this year that will make it illegal for anyone born after 2008 to be sold tobacco in what is believed to be the first such legislation in the world. The annually rising legal smoking age is aimed at preventing the country's next generation from ever taking up smoking. Mr Streeting said he was genuinely curious about how the New Zealand law, which is being accompanied by a range of other measures to make smoking less affordable and accessible, will work. It comes after a government-commissioned independent review published this summer recommended increasing the legal smoking age from 18 by one year every year. Ministers have previously set an objective for England to be smoke-free by 2030. Just so happens that's the year of the um, the agenda, Agenda 2030. Um, okay, so as a smoker, what does that sound like to you? Absolute piffle. Right, I pay more tax on my cigarettes than any non-smoker, obviously, because they tax who I am, right? Now, I saw this man, I think it was yesterday, uh, it might have been Sunday morning or yesterday morning, this Labour man, this elf thing on, right? Do you know, there's that many years ago, if you were a smoker, they wouldn't, they wouldn't give you an operation because you were, you were a smoker. We had a big hour about that. Now then, the, the smokers pay more taxes than anybody else, right? Now, Let's, why don't they start having a look at serious obese people? They're taking up more beds and more operations, what, you know, just for have a, a, a gastric band or something like that that never works anyway because they just carry on doing what they're doing. Yep. So what are you going to do? Stop selling food to people over 12 and a half stone or 13 stone? But something like 64% of of the beds and stuff are done and operations on morbidly obese people or obese people. So, you know, if you're going to make an an equal playing field, you know, you're already taxing us to I haven't with cigarettes, right? And and so, you know, I'm an adult. I don't need selling off some little jerk that's telling me, oh, you shouldn't be smoking. Yes, if any of my kids or grandkids... To talk about smoking, I say, whatever you do, do not start. Because once you're on them, you're on them. You know what I mean? But obesity, that's, that should be taken care of. Tell them you can't have an operation because you're too 
you're too overweight or, you know, we can't get a bed big enough for you. And this, that, and the other. So if we're having a level playing field, let's play with the health of everybody and not everybody else. I, I never go in a restaurant and light a cigarette up, even when I could do. Yeah. I'd go outside and smoke it. You know, but all this, oh, well, we're going to we're going to stop serving cigarettes from people who were born after 2000 and summer. Well, what about them that were born in 1950s, 60s, 70s, 80s? You know, mm-hmm. where, well, where'd you, where'd you, what are you trying to prove here? Okay, look, I'm not a smoker, so uh, I should always say that before we start discussing these things, because, you know, it's going to always be impossible for me to see exactly the problem or lack of a problem, depending on what what way you want to present it. I mean, for me, I was lucky. My sister got me uh, to inhale something when I was about eight or something, and I never touched anything since then. So it's not that I'm a goody-goody. It's just basically um, my life has never been about smoking. So that's why, you know, I'll always try and advise students not to smoke. But I think what I do realise, which is not always the case with non-smokers, I think I realise that, um, you know, it's wrong to demonise smokers. I think that um, most of the smokers I've ever met know that they probably on balance would prefer not to be smoking. But Correct. but but if you can't stop because of it's because it's an addiction, then it's it's a little bit unfair for people like myself or anybody to start coming on strong about people who shouldn't smoke. The other thing that I noticed, Neil, and uh, I like the way you um, you know thought about the, the the obese thing. Now we don't say the word fat because it's now banned. The woke brigade have told us we mustn't use that word. But the word fat was something that made you think a little bit more than obese. And I noticed there's a couple of adverts on TV promoting obesity. It's almost like saying uh, big is beautiful. Whereas realistically, I don't think it is. I think there's nothing wrong with people who are overweight but I think if you look at the uh, the problems that come with, you know, um, uh, joints and uh, heart muscles. Diabetes, that's one of the main ones. Yes. And, and that's a killer. You know, eventually it, it kills you. And the bigger you get, the worse, you you know, the stages of diabetes you go along. But but they stop, they stop giving people that smoke operations because they were smoking. You had to give up smoking for about six or 12 months or something. They don't tell people... With, with obesity, that they, they have to stop eating for six or 12 months. D- yeah, d- the, di- the, di- the diabetics, and, you know, as I say, the, you know, it's costing fortunes, absolute fortunes. Do you get a lot of uh, people who make it uncomfortable when you're smoking? No, because I don't go, I don't smoke in front of non-smokers. Right. I go outside. I mean, we, we go outside now anyway. Yeah, I mean, here, we're, we're outside nearly 10, 11 months of the year, aren't we? You know, yes. having a drink. So I, I'm on a table and I'm having a smoke, and as long as I'm away from people. As I said, I've never been one for... Smokers let themselves down years ago by just lighting up outside, a, you know, a, a table full of people that didn't smoke. Yeah. No, show a bit of, you know, common sense and manners and just go outside and have your cigarette. It's five minutes or whatever, but I'm I'm one of them that promotes with younguns. Well, you know, if they're watching me smoking, I say, listen, whatever you do, 
do not try any cigarettes because it'll be with you for the rest of your life and it'll cost you a fortune. I'm one of them. But I enjoy a smoke. I love a smoke. And I smoke in my house, right? But if somebody comes in that's a non-smoker, I'd open the doors and just stand outside talking to them if I needed a smoke while they were there. Yeah. Um, how did you start smoking? Well, you started behind school bike shed, didn't you? In school bike shed, and somebody come up with a, a woodbine between about six of us. Here, try this, you know, try this. Then you try it, and then somebody comes again. Here, I've got five woodbines here. You know, uh, just started like that, and then at school behind bike shed. Yeah. So, and I, I did stop once for 18 months, but oh, it was the worst 18 months of my life. I was agitated. I, were, I didn't know what to do with my hands. You know, or you you, go, you think, oh, I could I could murder a cigarette, and you go and get a biscuit, uh, you know what I mean, or a, a cup of tea and a cake or something like that. It's just something to do with your hands, I think. Yeah. You know. As I say, you see, I, I don't understand it because I've never smoked, and therefore, you know, it's difficult to be, um, you know, it, it would be a bit hypocritical if I did smoke. Um, yeah, but, but you know, you know that if we if we're outside. I always say to you, yeah, Vince, I've got you say, no, you're all right, because you're on the other side of the table. Yeah. And my smoke's not going anywhere near you. You know, but I won't go, come on, soft lad, here, have one of these. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Come on, here, I'll get one of these down you. Try it, you know. Uh, no, that's not my game. No, but the, I just you... smoke because I enjoy a cigarette myself. Something you said before resonated because I was um, at a restaurant and, and we were outside, funnily enough, and... Um, Suddenly, I was getting all this smoke coming onto me, and uh, I looked at the lady that was smoking at the next table, and she was holding a cigarette down. So obviously, she didn't want the smoke to go on herself, but it was going over my food and and over me, you know. And I, I had to I, say to her, I "Say, do you realise?" You know, I, I always try to get to the a table if there's a breeze blowing or whatever, is to get on the outside one, so there's nobody on the side where the smoke's going to draft over, or if I can, and I want a cigarette, I go and stand on the pavement. You know? Yeah. Okay. It, it's, it's people's own, you know, manners to people. You know, it's about, you know, I don't want my smoke going onto your table. Yeah. You know? And it doesn't, it, just to move a couple of yards out onto, you know, onto the pavement and have a cigarette and then come back, it takes, what, two to five minutes to have a smoke or something? Yeah. You know? Okay. Here's, uh, here's our next one. Okay, so police forces have reportedly spent more than £66,000 of taxpayers' money on inclusive rainbow flags, badges and lip balms in a bid to halt hate crime. Selfie frames, pens, key rings and shoelaces have also been purchased across 27 forces in England and Wales over the last three years. In total, um, £66,689 uh, £66, spent on LGBT merchandise between 2019 and 2022, according to data obtained by The Telegraph. South Wales Police alone spent 24,000 on items including badges, whistle, trolley, key rings, wristbands and water bottles. The National Police Chiefs Council say police forces' rainbow vehicles encourage members of the public 
to report incidents such as remarks made on social media by acting as hate crime cars. Chief uh, Superintendent Amanda Tillotson from Kent and the Police's Diversity and Inclusion Academy said the force's LGBT plus crime prevention merchandise helps to regularly remind the wider public of the importance of communities working together to support and protect each other. She added, police in Kent take our responsibilities to all communities as laid out by the Equality Act 2010 extremely seriously and its aim is to deliver a first-class service to victims and witnesses of all crime. Right, um, where do you stand on that one? Well, if it's for a gay policeman or a woman, you know, uh, and they want to wear a badge and have a... Have a whistle with a rainbow thing on and shoelaces with rainbow. That wouldn't bother me. But I don't get why they're spending this money. Are they just handing them out these things and and, and putting rainbow things on police cars or something? You know the rainbow signs on police cars. I don't know about you. What's all that about? The police are there to do a job. And if somebody's causing hate, hate crime, whether it's against LGBT women, men, kids, whatever. You don't need you don't need a rainbow sign on your on your on your car, or you know. But if, if you're a gay policeman and you want to wear a rainbow badge, uh, you know, as well as your police badge, that's fine with me. I'm not bothered. But he wear shoelaces there like that. But I don't get that. You know, it's going to remind everybody to to be you know uh, compliant to all these LBGT plus whatever they are. I think, the, I, I think the figures that came out this week in the UK really reveal how ridiculous things have got. They were claiming, according to the figures I read, that 1.45% of the population comes into this bracket. And I always think that if you've got a, a pint of milk and you're trying to put it into a, a thimble, sooner or later, the milk spills out everywhere. You know, you've you've filled your thimble, you've done that bit, but everything else goes on the table and spoils everywhere. And I think the problem really is that this is total and utter overkill. You know, because if people uh, are from that particular community can't see that they promote themselves as a problem, that's what's going on. I mean, if you and I were to walk out through anywhere and uh, you see somebody coming towards you obviously making a statement in the way that you dress, you react to it. So, for example, if you've got somebody that wants to be heavy metal or, you know, the um, Harley Davidson Club or whatever it is, um, you react to that. And I think that the overreaction by everybody to these few 1.45% people is becoming ridiculous because... But it, it, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be drafted anywhere into police force. No. If if there's a hate crime against an LGBT uh, person, well, your police car will still go with twos and blues on, and you don't need a rainbow thing on a police car. What do you think? Oh well, all them officers in there are gay, or the, you know they're LGBT, you know people. You know, no, leave the the police are a separate organisation to to protect people, and and it don't matter what you are. You know, male, female, LGBT, gay, straight, anything. Just let them get on with the job, but don't start keep 
filling, you know, all, all the, the cars up with, with, with rainbow signs and they've all got to wear a rainbow badge and this, that and the other and laces in the shoes. Well, I've never, I've never heard so much rubbish in my life. No, I, I haven't. And that's why I thought we'll look at this one because quite frankly... So what colour laces do we wear? If, if we're a, a normal straight guy who likes going out for a drink and this, that and the other, what have we, what, what have we got to wear? What shall we push on people? Yeah. That we think that everybody that's straight should wear, uh, you know, a bright red, white and blue uh, laces in the thing and a, and a, and a badge on, on, on your collar and this. What's all that about? Well, Give I mean, me they, they certainly don't put this sort of effort into protecting the elderly and the elderly are under attack all the time. Exactly. Um, you know, so we don't suddenly get a flood of um, police age concern pens or, you know, I think the shoelaces might be pushing it a bit because most people couldn't probably can't, bend over. You can't bend down for tie them up. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it, it, in oh, the... Velcro lot fasteners, there you are, Velcro fasteners. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in in the um, the light-hearted sense, you can laugh at some of this, but I think to make the police wear these type of things, I think what's going on personally, I think it's undermining the role of the police force. That's what I think it's aimed at, and I think it's all part and parcel of a bigger plot, which a lot of people seem to be doing. Um, you know, which is basically, if you undermine society, you've got to look at your police as Okay, enforcers. Not that we particularly want them to go around enforcing, but, you know, if you leave your car in the wrong place, you need somebody to tell you where to make sure you don't leave it again. If you're going to attack people, of course you need bobbies to come along and sort it out. But the last thing you want is somebody coming along dressed like Coco the Clown because that's not what the police force is supposed to represent. Exactly. They're an independent thing that they sent to protect us and this, that, and the other, and, and upheld, uphold the law. And that's where it should stay. That's where it should stay. That's why you've got a uniform. Can you imagine all the army going out in rainbow coloured um, uh, combat gear? I mean, do me a favour, please. I think we're getting near that. I think that's what probably will be the next um, part of the of the plan. I mean, realistically, um, if you've got people who are supposed to be neutral, neutral, by wearing those very things, they're making themselves part of the problem because they exactly. they are now promoting the problem which they are purporting to to um to fix i mean realistically the minute the police put anything on that which is why they have a uniform which is bland i mean you may as well go down the argument and say well okay anyone near um Trammy rovers football ground they've all got to wear or the the, the police cars have been got to be sponsored by Trammy rovers i mean you know it goes on and on and on being nonsensical doesn't it yeah, exactly. Okay, uh, right. Where will we go next? Um, here we go. Okay, student dropouts next at university have sharply risen, apparently, following teacher-assessed exams and inflated pandemic A-level grades. This is a university report that the failing 
um, of assessments and not submitting them at all has sparked a worrying decrease in those returning to university this year. Dr Ben Calvert, Vice-Chancellor of the University of South Wales, told The Telegraph that the number of students returning for the 2022-2023 academic year dropped by 6.1%. While it was promised that exams would return to normal, the need for certain allowances was stressed so that students would not be dis uh, disadvantaged compared with the year before. But 2022 saw 43,000 without a guaranteed place at university, the highest number in a decade partly influenced by a spike in applications. The Conservative MP Robert Holton and Chairman of the Commons Education Committee raised his concerns about the exam system to the BBC Radio 4 World at One programme in 2021. He told them, I do worry about the fact that we seem to have in essence baked a hard rock case of grade inflation into our exam results. And what we have to do to make sure is that our exams provide a level playing field, but of course are recognised and valued by colleges, universities and employers. Um, as somebody that was in the system, I can tell you that for me, I think that any self um, self-assessment, any in-house assessment is always going to give you problems like this because quite honestly, you know, any teacher is wanting to show that they've done a good job and if they mark down their students, then obviously immediately they can be castigated for that. So I think that's where the problem starts for me. What do you think? Well, if they mark down their, their own students, it's proving one thing, that they're not teaching them proper. Yeah. Isn't it? Well, you know, well, you, you, like all my students are very good here and they're very good at this, that, this, that, this, that, and the other. Then all of a sudden, they mark them down. Well, just hang on a minute. You better have a look at my teacher because she's been teaching me this and I've been learning this. And now I've failed. Well, I've only failed because she's not taught me properly. Yeah, well, I think this has been going on for a long time. You know, when I was in the college, they they started bringing in this, um, uh, doing modules rather than having to study and do the whole thing at the end of the year. I mean, for me, that is the test. It's worrying. It's time consuming. You've got to concentrate. You've got to do your your revisions and that sort of thing. But that proves that you can do what you're talking about. I mean, when all your say, for example, you're a bobby out on the on the beat and something crops up. Um, it's no good sort of having somebody that's got to stop and look at a reference manual for everything that you do. He's got or she has got to know the law and apply the law the way that they have been trained. Um, but the world of academia is totally different. You know, all they're doing most of the time is making excuses for people. You know, either you're academic and you can remember stuff or you're not. And if you're not academic, there are other routes, aren't there? Exactly. And the same, you know, they said it's dropped by six point something percent. Well, don't forget, we, we had that pandemic for two years. Some, some, some of them, some of the students might have thought they've gone out and got a job and thought, well, I'd sooner stick it out, you know, I'd sooner carry on with this job than go back to, to being a student and, and doing another two, three, four years before I, I can, you know, make my own way in life. I've so, always... I've always been a, a big fan of the person that can work because you know as well as I do, 
there are stacks of people that talk the talk, but when it comes to actually doing the job, they're not very, very good. And so I don't think that they should get all the hop. You know, it's, it's probably why the, the society is skewed from top to bottom. If you've got people that go to Eton, for example, and because just because they've been to Eton, they manage to get into Parliament and all this sort of stuff. I'm afraid, no, I'm a bit of a stickler in the fact of let's get an exam. And if you can't work in that way, you don't work in that way. So if, you, if you're if you not an academic, then at least give somebody the credit for doing the job and being hands-on. That's what I say. Exactly. I mean, without academics, you know, half of the world, you know, go do well, you know, these people that come along the that the brains are really, you know, sharp as a button and inventing things, you know, yeah. all of a sudden, it's like, well, let's look what, what we're on now, this Wi-Fi thing, right? Nobody would have thought this would have happened, you know. But you, you've got people that work with their hands, people that work with their brains, and, you know, they're all the same. But yeah. without them, we can't go any further. Right, got a couple more. We'll try and fit them in. Here's the first of these. You're listening to Vince Tracy and Neil Coble. It's Europe Calling. What's in the news this week, especially from the UK and from Spain? Europe Calling. Okay, by day they are teachers, civil servants, professors and fundraisers. But when the distress call comes in, they don their yellow wellies, overalls and life jackets and race to the rescue. And uh, Hannah Oliver, Sarah Whitelaw, Rose Short and mother and daughter Kay and Anna Heslop, um, they're breaking the gender mould after becoming the first all-female RNLI crew to save lives in the North Sea. Until years ago, uh, until 10 years ago, there were no women volunteers at Cullercott's lifeboat station in North Shields where they are based. Fantastic story, actually, to see the ladies who are... I mean, I don't care what gender you are, it doesn't come into it. If you're going to go out on a boat and try to save people at sea, you've got my vote. That's fantastic work. What do you think? Every credit to them. Female, male, whatever, anybody. I I mean, that's all all run by, you know, by a, a charity. You know, people's donations. I think they should have got some government help with these, you know. Yeah. Because going out in treacherous weather, you know, they're not going to go out for a Sunday stroll, are they? You know, on you know, on a calm, calm bit of water, and hey, is everything all right? We, yeah, no, it's when waves are about 30, 40 foot high, and they're going out in atrocious conditions. I have every credit to these women. I think they're doing fantastic. I do as well. I think actually if you look around society, you can see, clearly see, that women are fantastic in many, many different ways of working. And, I mean, when you look at the airlines and uh, the the way that they've got pilots now, uh, they always could have been and should have been. The only thing that, that, that is a bit worrying is that the, 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 the work that hopefully... I'm, I'm not going to sound too sexist when I say this, but hopefully um, the, the, the remit of the 
female is to look after the family and the remit of the male is to go and forage and work and bring the money in to pay for the family. And I think probably one of the biggest challenges the future holds really is to feel comfortable that a a lady who doesn't want a family um, should be allowed quite to be successful and do everything that a man can do. And I think that if a woman who wants to look after her family and be, you know, the the provider of the the home and the house, um, that should really... I I never understand why um, things like uh, family allowance was changed because I think that's the one thing... Uh, I think all women should have some wage of some sort if they are looking after their family. I'm not talking about people who don't get married, by the way. I'm talking about if people settle on, you know, um, settling down and that's what they want to do and look after the next generation. Okay, um, I, I know many people will disagree with probably what I've been saying, but I do feel for me that that's part of society that needs a bit more, um, a little bit more admiration. The the woman that looks after the family and keeps everybody in tow, looks after the house and all that sort of stuff. I, I think that's where really a lot of people don't see the fine work that's being done. What do you think? Exactly. Uh, mothers and grandmothers, they were the matriarch of the family, weren't they? Yeah. But now the, the world's changing and you've got, you, you know, young women, you know, as you say, they're going out on this lifeboat and this, that and the other. These, these other, uh, 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 as you say, pilots. Yeah. Others are, and that's fine. That's the, that's the way they, you know, that, that's what, you know, what they've chosen to go into and have every credit with them for that. And if they can still, you know, if some of them are still, are, 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 I'm sorry, are, are married women with kids, then as long as they can do the job, you know, and then do the job at home, then every credit to them. W- women have more jobs than us men have had ever. Yeah. You know, and I don't mean that as in they've had, you know, a, a milk woman, a, a lollipop woman. I mean, in the house, in the house and outside of the house. They, they do more jobs than us. We go out, try and earn a, a few quid, put it into pot for keep family going and keeping house bills going and this, that, and the other. But the, there's hell of a lot of women do more hard graft than us well i think the the problem especially now is being made even more by you know these transgender groups who are now impinging on women's rights i mean there are certain things that the women have had to fight for over the years and quite uh deservedly have got uh, what they were fighting for, whereas now these other people are coming in and uh, they're making it very, very difficult. You know, we were doing a couple of stories last week about um, women swimmers, weren't we? And um, this yeah. male, who's obviously a male, has now, you know, come in and uh, entered the women's race, which is absolutely bonkers, really, isn't it? Exactly, which is not a women's race. It's a women's race with a man in it. Yeah. yeah. Simple. It is actually when you look at it like that. Uh, You know, women weightlifters, right? Right. Well, go and get Jeff Cates. He he could probably outlift them all when he's about 70 or uh, 70 or 80. But because he says he's transgender, he's doing it women's weightlifting. How do women compete with that? It's it's an absolute fallacy. You can't have a man in a women's swimming final uh, uh, going against all, all the others are women. It just doesn't make any sense at all. 
Okay, Neil, I think uh, we've changed the world. Yeah, another week has passed by. Um, have a great week and uh, look forward to chatting next week. Yeah, that could be my last one before I'm off to uh, be big in Bangladesh and Thailand. Ooh, right, okay. We'll have to we'll have to think about what way to handle that. Thank you very much indeed, and uh, look Ooh. forward to next week then. All right, Vince. Thanks very much. Speak to you soon. Thanks, Neil. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.